Welcome to the Weekend Warriors Fishing Podcast, presented by 13 Fishing Canada. Make your own luck. We're here to scratch that angling itch and talk everything fishing. Join us as we sit down with special guests from across the industry. Now, here's your hosts, Brandon Cater and Logan Lewis. What is going on, everyone? Thank you for joining us on the second bite of the Weekend Warriors podcast. Uh, I'm your co-host, Logan Lewis, and I'm happy to be joined by my other co-host here, Brandon Cater. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Can't complain. I got myself a nice glass of Lucky Bastard Vodka, and uh, I'm ready to sit down and listen to this episode. It was a great one. Um, but before we get into that, what's new with you? Have you been out fishing at all? Uh, yeah, I, I've only so far only taken one weekend off in ice season. Um, but I just past weekend went out to Diefenbaker and spent two nights on the ice. Uh, pretty good time. Not a, not a ton of fish, but that lake's been pretty mean to me in the past, so I was happy to finally crack the code a little bit there. How about yourself? Yeah, I was kind of following your little camping trip there on Instagram. It looked like quite the time. Um, I mean, we had an unbelievable cold stretch. Like, it was, I think it was 160 hours straight we had of a minus 40 wind chill or colder. Um, so I think that's a new record here for Regina, Saskatchewan. Uh, myself, I... I didn't go out there. I didn't go out there in that cold weather. I know there's a lot of people out there, um, you know, taking on the cold like a champ. Um, but I had a lot of other things going on. And then the time that I did have it, you know, it was like minus 54. And for me, I just, I wasn't going to risk it. Plus, everybody that I talked to, uh, especially out, you know, if you're from Saskatchewan, if you're listening, um, you know, I talked to a lot of guys out fishing last mountain lake, a really, really good fishery, um, you know, trophy walleye fishery the bite has just been, it's, it's been a dead sea. So, I mean, for me to go out there, freeze my ass off when I don't even know anybody that's finding fish. Uh, I just, I just took a nice little vacation from fishing here during this cold snap. Yeah, for sure. I think it's been, it's been slow everywhere. You talked there when deep, deep's been slow, Buffalo pound's been slow and and yeah, it's just, I think it's all around the board right now with these kind of temperatures we've been having. And, and really at a certain point, it gets to be a bit too cold and you got to start thinking about the fish too. So maybe use that as an excuse not to, not to go and freeze your ass off. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, right now it's, you know, we're kind of coming through, um, through the month of February. So March is right around the corner. Um, late ice is going to be, I think an absolute heater. I mean, especially with this long cold snap, once everything starts heating up. Um, I think the bite well too. Uh, obviously with warmer weather, you know, it got to be everybody that's out ice fishing, please be cautious. I know there was just a, a big heave that opened up at Pelican Point on Last Mountain Lake. We just had a nice warm day after such a cold stretch and the ice is just so unpredictable. It's never 100% safe, um, so always be aware of your surroundings. But um, with that being said, I'm really looking forward to March uh, and hopefully finding some walleye and for me, big pike in march is is the name of the game so definitely looking forward to that yeah likewise can't wait for march madness seems like everything gets hungry and all the big girls come out and it's definitely a good time to end the ice fishing season oh absolutely um with that being said though let's jump into a little bit about what this episode today is going to be about uh this episode is brought to you by lucky bastard distillers out of saskatoon saskatchewan uh, if you love vodka uh, they also make whiskey they are a local Saskatchewan distiller. They've been around since 2012 and they make some great products. If you love Caesars, you're going to want to take a listen. 
There are certain moments in life that really stick with you. This is definitely one of them. The thrill of the deal, my friends, is not a myth. Prohibition is over, Saskatchewan. Ask about LB's legendary Birmingham's Dill Pickle Vodka. After all, it's not a party until someone pulls out the pickle. Tours and tastings available. Call or stop by 814 47th Street East. And tonight, why not mix your Caesar with some lucky bastard? It's the one with the pickle in it. So, so if that interested you, you can head over to luckybastard.ca and use our code for 10% off. It's Weekend Warriors. Uh, they ship all across Canada and, and definitely something you should be trying out. We're lucky enough to be joined by John Hoyer, the legend himself. Um, I don't know if you want to, if you want to get into it, Brandon. Any of you that aren't really familiar with, um, tournament angling, which I know, I mean, there's a lot of people that aren't, especially with tournament angling down in the States. We, you know, we have our local tournaments around here, but down in the States, tournament angling has almost a different culture and John Hoyer, you know. He's a two-time national walleye uh, champion, and he's a two-time muskie trail champion. You know, the guy, he's just a legend. And um, we were super fortunate that he responded to us, and, you know, he was more than happy to hop on uh, on a recording and do an interview with us. And we are extremely um, happy to bring you this episode where we touch on quite a few things that um, I think a lot of you are going to find interesting. Yeah, for sure. We kind of we get into how John got into fishing, kind of tournament life behind the scenes, what he's doing there. Uh, of course, his 2019 dream season. And then lastly, we kind of get into a hot tip that he has for all the listeners on a kind of special pike muskie walleye bite. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome, John Hoyer. Uh, we're happy to have you on the show. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us and uh, tell us a little bit more about your story as a professional angler. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, pretty sweet technology you guys got here since we're talking across forbidden borderline. Oh, oh yes. I know. <laughs> this whole COVID situation's been uh, quite a scenario, especially for the fishing industry itself, right? I mean, I'm sure guys like yourself make a couple trips up to, say, like, like Winnipeg and uh, Ontario and that kind of stuff for ice fishing season. Yeah, for sure. And um, I've always loved, you know, talking to Canadians out on the ice on Winnipeg or anywhere in Manitoba, Ontario. But now, like I have realized that, but now I think a lot of Americans are really realizing how much we love our Canadian friends and, you know, those fishing adventures. But when you guys ask me to do this, I'm like, anytime I can talk to some Canadians on the phone or in this case on video, like sign me up. I'm in. I'm missing it. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't got your Canadian fill yet with all this COVID stuff right <laughs> so i guess we'll just kind of jump right into it i mean there might be uh, there's obviously a lot of people that know your name um you're obviously a growing person in the fishing industry especially down in the states there um but for some canadian listeners maybe up here that aren't um familiar with tournament angling um as as much um maybe just take a second here to introduce yourself um kind of where you're from and a little bit more background about yourself yeah, my name is John Hoyer. Uh, I fish on the National Walleye Tour, so that's kind of our biggest uh, stage for walleye fishing in the U.S. Um, I actually lived in Canada for 10 years of my life. Uh, a little short story there, my dad's a Lutheran pastor, so when I was four, I moved to Calgary. Uh, I got to see the Olympics, so I lived there from four to 14, and uh, then my dad took a call back to Minnesota, where I was originally born, 
And from then on, um, really kind of started, well, continued my obsession with fishing. So um, as soon as I got my driver's license, my dad let me borrow his little 16-foot tracker. There's a ton of lakes around Litchfield where I uh, went to high school. And my friends and I would literally just go out at every chance we could get, you know, fishing for crappies, walleyes, uh, never pike, uh, bass. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so from that point forward... Uh, basically, my next step was I bought a Ranger 618 tiller when I was 23 years old. Being a, I was in the carpentry union, and I couldn't even afford it. I could tell you the exact building I was working on the day that I went from talking to the guy about boats to, well, why don't you talk to our finance guy? And <laughs> you know, 30 minutes later, while I'm supposed to be working, I'm like, okay, so how much a month? For like how many years? And I'm like, okay, yeah. so that's an extra $400 a month. Man, I can't afford that at all, but I have to do it. So <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. a leap of faith financially for myself. And at that point, I already knew that I could start at least generating a little bit of money guiding for muskies. That was kind of my big thing. So um, the next jump in my life is when I went from that 618 tiller I had for 10 years um, and I had an opportunity to fish on the pro side of the National Wally Tour. And now that was another huge financial jump, which was, yeah. you know, now I'm buying an $80,000 boat, which I had no business which, buying at all on a Union Carpenter Yeah, that's scale. an extensive jump. Yeah. Right. So same exact leap of faith I made back when I was 23. And I just kind of put my faith in God. I knew that's where I wanted to be and, you know, got the loan. I obviously didn't buy the boat. Got the loan. Yeah. That one was for like $600 a month. And um, yeah, from there I just started, you know, I just realized that if I had to eat hot dogs and ramen every night, I don't care. Like I am fishing the pro side of the National Walleye Tour. And um, yeah, with that came some participation with sponsors. And now this year will be my sixth, sixth year on the National Walleye Tour. Six years, eh? Yeah, well, just looking at the size of that muskie behind you, um, you can definitely tell that you, you like your musky for sure. Um, but yeah, right. Typical, uh, sales guy, you go in just to browse and, and somehow they talk you into, oh, the numbers will work for you. Right. For sure. And it was actually my friend, Eric, who, uh, at the time he was a salesman for uh tracker boating center or whatever. And so like, it was just this friendly conversation that it's like, well, you better buy this. This boat's going to go like, why don't you just talk to the finance guy? And that's so funny, yeah. you know, like I said, hour later, boat owner. Yeah. There you go. Definitely a leap of faith there for sure. Yeah. Maybe one I'll have to take here soon, but I don't really have the guiding or the tournament experience, but we'll see. I'll maybe still take it. <laughs> Do it. That's all I can oh. say. <laughs> Do it now and figure it out later, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think a lot of humans, you know, it's not necessarily a um, fight or flight scenario, but... You know, if you're passionate about something that much and you realize that the only hurdle is to earn an extra $300 a month to make it work, um, you know, that was the that was the decision that I made. And I realized that if I did, you know, two guide trips a month, half days, then I could make that boat payment. So, you know, when you can start financially justifying that stuff, that boat is going to open up doors to more exploration, bettering your angling ability, and then in turn, people noticing you and wanting to hire you as a guide. So I think that's kind of the classic scenario where, um, 
you know, everybody has a part-time job before they're a professional angler. Most of them have a part-time job or a full-time job and they fish on the pro side. So there's no easy road yeah. to that. Everybody burns the candle at both ends. And that's one thing you need to be successful is a nice boat. True. Very true. So, so when you said that they have, usually someone has a job like full-time or a part-time job while they're on the on the tour how how does that work for like time off and things like that do you just have to have a really nice boss or like how like how do most guys do that um i mean i think one of the most classic cases i think of some of my peers my my best friends like Corey sprangle he has the exact same story as me he was a block layer you know worked concrete and took a ton of time off um for myself union carpenter of like 16 or 18 years so those last oh, wow. five years for me, um, I really kind of just started, I mean, not to sound arrogant, but I, I told my boss, like, I need this week off for this tournament. I need this week off. I need this week off for guiding, you know, and I just, I straight up told him, I make $500 a day guiding for muskies and I have nine days booked. That's $4,500 versus $1,400 a week or $1,200 a week, whatever I was making, you know, so like talking dollars and cents with somebody like that. Um, the other thing inevitably about somebody who's going to be successful in fishing is they have a work ethic that um, exceeds even 95% of people. Um, again, not to brag, but I know when I look around on a carpentry or a, a work site that I'm one of those people that one of those five or 10% of people that is working hard nonstop can't help it. So um you get into a situation in the trades where you're basically irreplaceable or you're such a good worker that, you know, your boss acknowledges the fact that you're trying to do this, you know? So I think honesty is key with your employer. Um, I don't have a lot of experience other than friends who, you know, have white collar jobs with set amount of time off, but you know, those people really have to pick and choose for sure. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that, Oh, Sorry, go ahead, Logan. No, you can go. You can go. I think that kind of takes me into where I was kind of directing here next is, um, so you just recently, like, what, a year ago, um, went full-time into professional angling? Uh, yeah, so this will be my third season doing that. Third season, so 2019 okay. 2019 so, was my first year, yep. Okay, and so, and 2019 was a big year for you. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how that works. Well, well yeah, we'll, we'll get into that uh, right away here. But um, basically, kind of where I was going with this is I wanted to know, how did you get into um, tournament angling? Like, obviously, you have your weekend warriors. Um, you have people that fish for a hobby, that enjoy it, just to get away from reality a little bit. Uh, you have people that, you know, fish tournaments. Um, but how do you take that next step and know, like, this is the direction that you want to go or that... Um, you know, it's available to, to go there. Um, I mean, for myself and again, like a lot of anglers, um, we all have history in like high school sports. So, you know, I even played college volleyball for a couple of years and then continued to play volleyball on from there. And I mean, looking back, it's embarrassing how competitive I used to be like in sporting events. So um, basically my first year of musky fishing, my first full-time year, I had musky fever so bad. And my buddy, Andy Ham and I, um, we're like, Hey, let's fish the Minnesota musky tournament trail. I'm like, okay, that's on four lakes that we like, you know, that we've want to fish. 
three of them we never even fished. But we went out there and um, we took fourth place in the first muskie tournament we ever fished. So I think if we would have taken 100 in fourth place, maybe I wouldn't have been bit by that bug so much. But the excitement of catching a muskie in a tournament is like no other. I mean, the only thrill that I can see in tournament fishing would be like um, now fishing for $90,000. I mean, but yeah. catching a muskie in a muskie tournament, like that is max adrenaline. So that's how I got the bug of tournament fishing. Originally it was, um, you know, seven years worth of muskie tournaments, everyone I could fish. Wow. And that like, I mean, muskie fishing in general is just an adrenaline rush. Not that, not that Logan or myself know, uh, we don't, we don't muskie fish out here in Saskatchewan. We do a lot of big Northern pike fishing. Uh, we haven't got a chance to go do some muskie fishing, but from what I hear and from videos uh, and just the way that you're talking about it right now, right? Um, it's obviously a adrenaline uh, junkie um, fish in itself. And then you, t you put the aspect of having money on the line as well. Um, I can see how that's pretty addictive. Yeah. And I've done a lot of articles and a podcast or whatever, but um, that thing behind me has actually taught me more life fishing lessons than anything else. So, you know, I got into walleye tournaments late, like the big ones, late in life. But um, the the lessons I learned from muskie fishing are, I mean, there's a ton of them. But like one of the key things is kind of going back to what we were talking about is like work ethic. And then, like you said, yeah. that adrenaline rush. So everybody knows a normal muskie day is 12 hours long. You're looking for one bite. You know, on a great day, you're getting three or five or ten bites maybe. But um in hindsight, when I go into a lot of these like Great Lakes walleye tournaments now, that's one thing that a lot of people struggle with where they're walleye fishing and, um, you know, they want to be catching fish. But one of the secrets about the Great Lakes is like myself and some of the other successful anglers on the Great Lakes, we're really only looking for like two or three bites a day in practice, yeah. you know. So it's being able to derive clues from those minuscule little test samples like one bite from a muskie or two bites or a follow. Um, same thing on walleye fishing and really the same thing when you're chasing like any of the highest trophy size fish of any class, really, you know, they're not high in numbers. Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely learned a lot from muskies and then also that mindset of fishing and muskie tournaments. So, so I guess when you're saying, I guess for people listening, when you're saying bites, you're not even talking fish landed, correct? You're just talking, right the bite okay yeah so some people yeah. that would they would think that's a pretty long day with only one or two but when you put it in the sense of a muskie or potentially bigger walleye you never know what that could turn into i guess yeah obviously walleyes you land a lot more but like the lifetime average of all muskie anglers is 50 percent like hooked to land so um yeah wow. muskies you're literally you know looking for a bite not even necessarily a photo and a <laughs> high five you know like you got bit you did everything <laughs> except the fish got off but um, yeah, a lot of those walleye tournaments, um, you know, when you're exploring out where tournament winning bags come from one, two, three, maybe four bites a day. So, so when you're guiding someone, when you're guiding for muskie, are you mentally preparing them before to say, Hey, this is the way it, it can be. And that they understand that or, cause I feel like when most people go with a guide, the general expectation is I'm going to catch so many fish that I won't know what to do with myself kind of thing. Yeah, when I first started muskie fishing, it was at like the peak of all the stocking that they did in Minnesota. So 
I was pretty honest with people. I've always been a realist. I never wanted to really over pad the stats, you know, under over promise, under deliver. Um, but there, there was those days where I'm like, you picked the best day ever. You, you booked this thing six months out and we caught nine yesterday and we caught six the day before and five the day before, like game on. And you know, it had happened. Wow. We'd have a good night, five or six bites yep. and a few of them. Um, but yeah, in reality, you know, it's now that the whole musky population, especially like in Minnesota, has kind of matured. Like most people have been doing it for a few years. They understand that, you know, catching a fish on a chosen day on a calendar is a success. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of my questions I had, so you started out musky, uh, musky tournaments, right? That was kind of your thing. That's kind of what you focused on. That was your um adrenaline adrenaline rush now you're kind of well known in the walleye side of things so how did you make that transition or even make that decision to i'm gonna fish the the national walleye tour um well i've always fished for all species so um my normal year if you start in january is like i love chasing perch it's probably my favorite type of fishing is perch ice fishing um, I've seen one of your posts on Instagram saying that you just love, you absolutely love uh, perch through the ice. It's like heartfelt love, like literally love <laughs> it every time, every time it happens. It's like the, my favorite thing. I think thing, that but... might be, a, that, that might be a little surprising to some people. I like that's, that was surprising to me. Like when I saw your post, it's like, man, this guy's a national like musky walleye guy, but <laughs> he, he loves perch through the ice. Oh my God. <laughs> Okay, so here's the deal. If you follow me on Instagram long enough, it's like super cliche. Like I don't even say the A word around <laughs> my friends anymore, but it's anticipation. So like all those 10 or 12 years that I musky fished and I thought about what I was physically doing, stuff I can't even physically do anymore, I would do for 12 to 16 hours a day, all on that anticipation of just getting a bite. And sometimes that led yeah. to just seeing a fish. So um, when I started like, thinking back to why I love perch fishing so much is because that is like the epitome of anticipation. You get a group of guys together, the majority of the time you're not marking anything, you're searching. And then when you land on them, it happens fast. They're the easiest fish in the world to catch, but it's happening fast. You're filling your bucket. You know, maybe they're bigger than normal. Maybe they're huge. You know, it's always different. And then at any time when you drop your jig back down, you just have this huge school come up, like four feet of them. You get the fish off, you get back down, like every time that jig is falling, you're wondering, is that school gone? And at any time in yep. the day, any drop of the jig, that whole school can be gone for the rest of the day, never be found again, maybe for the next week, you know, whatever. So when I see grown men giggle perch fishing, that's why. And I've just kind of like done the science behind why in my mind. And that's why I will continue to always love like the anticipation of getting on a big school of perch. Yeah, hot so, perch, but her perch bite is fun. That's for sure. But I best. just, yeah, I, I giggled when I saw your post. <laughs> You're making fun of me. No, so <laughs> you know now I've been able to process like you know that is where people get passion of tournament angling. Some people get you know they'll get anxious getting closer to tournament time. I'm getting like more and more and more excited, and it's just that's yeah. how I'm wired. Like it's a positive mindset. It's optimistic. I can't wait for that tournament day. And, you know, that's what fishing is. I, I know there's an old adage that says, you know, a person fished for 100 years and then finally realized it wasn't the fish that they were fishing for. 
and that that's just completely fact for me i mean i'm fishing for that adventure um i like it better when we're not catching anything that kind of sounds funny but like that time right yeah. before you catch something that's my favorite time um you know the anticipation the calm before the storm yeah i mean you're putting the pieces together clues are coming in you caught one fish and then you're pre-fishing and then boom there's the eight pounder and your next cast is a six pounder like but it was that it was that time right before you actually were reeling in that fish like when you felt the bite and you know everything yep. from there is just work and it's you know if you fish enough reeling them in isn't the fun part yep. anymore like we all got into it for you know feeling them fight and everything yep. so um it's kind of the big picture of what makes me tick but that's why you know long-winded answer to your question i've always fished walleyes perch crappies bluegills bass muskies so um it was just making a switch from musky guiding and musky fishing the whole musky season six months to uh, starting off as a co-angler on the National Walleye Tour. Wow. I guess you got to be pretty big into the multi-species if you are able to to switch around that much. And then if, if anyone has followed you long enough, I've been following you for quite a while, and you can see that it's like you like to tell the story, and it's not just about the hero shot kind of thing. And then you can also see that it's not just musky, it's not just walleye. Like there's there's so much more that, that you can do. So that's what that's one of my favorite parts about the follow for sure. <laughs> nice trophy everything like however whatever it takes you know just something something big that's hard to catch so going into just jumping off of the walleye tournament um in 2019 let's talk about 2019 that was kind of like i don't know i want to call it the dream season i don't know what you refer to it as yeah <laughs> like i don't even know if it actually happened season i've been told it did but yeah definitely a dream so yeah like and so leading up to 2019 you were co-angler of the year for two years uh that was 2017 okay Uh, so just just so for people that maybe listeners that aren't familiar with tournament fishing um what is it what exactly is a co-angler and what are your responsibilities so on the level of tournaments we fish um, for $90,000, there's one way to keep the tournament on the up and up, and that's with a random drawing of a, of a co-angler. So each tournament we get randomly paired with a co-angler, and what that allows, um, what allows to happen is you know, that co-angler is making sure I'm abiding by the rules as a pro. Um, okay. we, share, we share our weights at the end of the day. So... Um, you know, my goal is to get that co-angler dialed in on what we're doing. If it's mechanically or, you know, how I want him to net a fish, whatever, he's your teammate for the day. Um, and then the next day you get drawn with a different random co-angler. So um, when I started off as a co-angler, I fished for two years and I won the first tournament I ever fished, um, which is luck because I got randomly drawn with two different pros. And yeah, I helped execute or whatever, but literally luck. So um, that was that first year. And then I think I took like fourth at the championship. And then that next year, um, another crazy dream season. Out of four tournaments, the lowest I finished, I think, was fourth place as a co-angler, which is, that's like winning the Powerball and the Mega Millions (laughs) to have that happen. We we don't have those in Canada. Oh, well, your biggest lottery (laughs) times like 10. (laughs) 
yeah, those are the odds. But um, so you know, inevitably, I had like some cool respect from peers and stuff because, yeah, I was good at fishing. Like I better be with all the time I'd spent in my life up to that point. You know, that was um, seven years ago now. So um, I got invited to fish on Corey Sprangle, Bill Shimoda, and Dustin Mankey's team, who I was traveling with. And um, that's when I made the jump to the pro. So first year, I didn't cash a check as a pro. That was eye-opening. And then two more tournaments that second year, I didn't cash a check. And then the third tournament of the season was Prairie du Chien. Um, that was my first check I cashed. It was second place. I won $22,000. And I wow. lost a, a $60,000 walleye with about six feet of line out on my last cast right at the net in the Mississippi River, like a five to seven pounder. And I think I weighed a, a two pounder, basically a two and a half pounder. So, um, I couldn't even imagine. <laughs> I was wondering what God was trying to tell me at that point. I mean, I was so bewildered and it was like, oh my gosh, second place. That's crazy. And I, I'll never forget. I actually ran my boat into the dock in this little side channel. I was so bewildered. Like what happened? How could that happen? Yeah. Like, how, why? Um, and left this big, like $1,800 scratch in my fiberglass that had to be yeah, repaired. Yeah, change. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, um, anyways, so that was second place. Um, the championship, I took seventh. So that was like, boom, boom, two top tens in a row, uh, my second year fishing. And then that was 18. Yeah, so the third year I had another top 10 and I think an 11th place. Or an 11th place and another couple uh, cash checks. And then, then 2019 happened. So that was actually my fourth year um, as a pro. Okay. So, like, when you say you made the jump to pro, like, how, like, what's the process even to get um, uh, accepted as a co-angler into one of these, like, big tournaments? You know what I mean? Like, how do you qualify to do that? Uh, the co-angler was pretty simple. So, um you just pay the entry fee. It's like 500 bucks. Oh. Best money anyone could ever spend in walleye fishing. So $500 and you get to fish with two of the best walleye anglers in the world, like back to back days, two oh, different absolutely. ones. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, and in the past until this year, we were able to name a pro, uh, to pair with. So if I signed up with, uh, Bill Shimoda, I was guaranteed entry into all four tournaments. Um, Oh, wow. Now they took that rule away, so you basically just have to sign up. for. If you sign up for all four, you're going to be prioritized to be paired with us, but we can't pair with a pro, um, which is kind of a more of a standardized thing. But it's just to get an even number of pros and co's because that's what you need to you know fish the tournament. So, so with that entry fee, is that is that the same thing, that like the same entry fee that you're paying as well as, as a pro to fish that tournament? No, we pay, um, well, every year until this year, we paid seventeen fifty. So this year it's $2,000. Okay. Yeah, so the co-anglers are fishing for like six to $8,000, and we're fishing for, you know, 90000 80000 to $90,000. Okay. I think, I think that's a really good idea because here it seems like, like I've never fished an open water tournament or anything, and I just think that that would be something that would be interesting to get into, but when you see the entry fees for lots of these and like say at last mountain, for example, we, we know how lots of those people 
or how capable lots of those guys are and that might be the only lake they fish and they've got that lake dialed and it's like why would i pay the whatever x amount of dollars to get in when i guess there's no no chance it seems like not no chance because anything can happen but it's like the odds are stacked heavily against yourself so i think i think that co-angler way is a, is a really great way to get people into it like you said to kind of keep it growing and whatnot yeah for sure and i mean you get to learn some secrets as a co-angler you know you're fishing with those guys um and then the other thing that i got was i kind of got to gain confidence in my own ability so you know um not every pro i fished with did i think was like light years ahead of my angling ability you know i was already computing stuff on my own granted i got to fish with some of the best guys on the tour in practice so um i really got to see what a dialed in game plan and practice looked like but it definitely does one of two things you know it lets you know where you stand and then also you know you get to learn a lot of stuff but um touching on the one thing you said logan about like that eternal question of why would i why would i put my money up against Corey sprangle on green bay uh you know, that, that wouldn't be a good investment, right? But um, there's a lot of things that you learn in tournaments. Um, you know, for instance, some of this stuff is location, like um, things you'll never know by reading any article or seeing it on TV is like, where were the top, like I was fishing right by the top, seven of the top 10 boats. Those four guys were trolling, but the guy who won and the second place guy were casting those spots and they were up a lot shallower. You know, that's, that's like, that's worth twice an entry fee, five times an entry fee, stuff you'll never learn on your own unless you're fishing every day on the water. So tournaments are kind of the ultimate learning curve. And it there is a price to pay, you know, pay to play. Um, but as far as like having that be a hurdle mentally, that's what tournament fishing is. If that's what every sport is, you know, you you gotta beat the best if you wanna, you know, be the best, basically. Be the best. So yeah, I mean Yeah, absolutely. It, but a great way to start, like, if it's half the, your monthly income to go give away your entry fee to the guys on Last Mountain, then maybe now's not the time, you know. But um, as soon as you can justify that and you get that time of year that you're dialed and competent, your first goal is just simply cash a check. Then it's top 10. And then from there, it's like, I want to win one of these. So, But you got to do it. Yeah, that first step is actually going into it. So it's got to start somewhere, I guess. Yeah, for sure. It's Speaking, kind of investing in your future, basically. Yeah, it's like anything, right? Yeah. But uh, speaking, uh, while we're touching on the topic of Last Mountain Lake in Saskatchewan, you know, you having lived in Calgary, in Alberta, um, you coming up and fishing Lake Winnipeg, have you ever fished in Saskatchewan? Um, let me think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have fished in Saskatchewan. We fished. Um, no. Yeah, when I was young, and it's funny because I've been in Saskatchewan a lot for waterfall hunting, but I've never wet a line otherwise. Um, but yeah, we fished. Oh God, I forget the name of it. Is Jan Lake one of the lakes like near Regina? Um, I think Jan Lake is maybe a little more north. Yeah, I'd north have to look it up to be honest with you. Okay. I I've never. That might be I've never actually them. fished it. Well, it's yeah, definitely like, a lake, well, but I don't know where it is. It's yeah, I mean, for for myself, me talking to you, knowing that you're a, a walleye, you know, professional, um, you know, if you ever came to Saskatchewan, I would think that you'd, you know, target like Tobin Lake or Lost Mountain Lake. Those are two two pretty popular 
um, walleye fisheries that you know are known to generate. Actually, I think um, the record for Saskatchewan walleye is from Tobin Lake. And I think it was actually caught by a pastor, like a, a priest. Yeah, I remember and that story. Was, yeah, eighteen point six three pounds or something, like ice absolutely fishing. like insane. Yeah, ice fishing. Was that that was insane? Like absolutely four years crazy. ago or something. Uh, I'd a, have to. That was a while I'd, ago. I was just gonna say I think it was like twenty eleven or twenty twelve or something like that. Yeah, four years, nine years, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Jad, Jad Lake is about uh, seven hundred kilometers from Moose Jaw north of Musha, which is i'm only 45 minutes from regina so a, a little bit out of the way from regina but i've definitely I've had come up that conversation lake. a lot yep i fished that lake with one of my dad's pastor buddies from regina originally and um i'll never forget it because my dad we went to this little like river that came in and a waterfall and we were catching walleyes every cast they were like eater sized ones but when we had to go yeah. back across the lake um my dad was basically like, hang on in a 16 foot, uh, <laughs> aluminum tiller with my brother and I and the pastor and the trolling motor battery came dislodged from the front and hit pastor Schultz right in the shins. And his, both his shins were literally bulged out like two inches from that trolling motor battery. So a couple of baseballs in his shins. Yes, exactly. But like my dad will never forget that story. My brother never will. I never will. And I, I mean, I think I was eight or nine years old probably. There you go. A good old Saskatchewan story from a professional walleye angler. Yep, that's it. <laughs> we can end the show now. Yeah. Yep. All <laughs> right. Complete. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, uh, yeah. Okay, go ahead, Logan. I, I was just going to go back to the, the tournament life because I guess you see lots of it with, with the posts about the tournaments and whatnot. But one thing I was interested in is, is kind of like what is it like behind the scenes, like when, when the boat's not in the water. Like I've seen some documentaries about – guys getting rigged up things like that in the night but when you're there for is it a is it a full week that you pre-fish pretty well for each tournament like kind of what what goes on in that time yeah for me and um i think for a lot of people that have had success it's really similar um so i get there a week um even sometimes nine days before the tournament um we don't have any limitation on how much practice time we have so um I have the luxury now to do that. So anyways, uh, it's basically, I mean, for myself, it's sun up to sundown every day. Um, you know, if I can get six hours of sleep a night, that's like a target. Um, those summertime tournaments inevitably, you're, you know, more daylight. So you end up getting like five, five, four and a half, you know, maybe something went wrong, whatever, further travel time. Um, and then, you know, try to get a couple of good nights of sleep before the tournament. And that's what it looks like for me, literally sun up to sundown. Um, you know, I go to that tournament with absolutely everything rigged, every type of foresight I have as far as presentation. Um, you know, I generally have uh, by 50 rods with me. They're all ready to go, you know, trolling and casting. Wow. Um, organization is a key thing. Corey Sprangle kind of taught me that. So, like, right now, if I would pan around my living room here, uh, the, you know, there's a box of all my crankbaits over there. I was going through all the hooks getting them back into kind of shape as far as like color and size. So like anything that you can buy yourself, in my mind, it, it comes down to like every minute I can buy myself a s sleep because of being organized is like money in the bank. And that's going to relate to being you know yeah. better in the tournament. So yeah, that's a standard thing. I mean, most people, the least I see people pre-fish is maybe five days. 
Okay. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. That's yeah. Like a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Definitely. Like people don't, you know, take into perspective. Um, but let's, I don't think we actually touched on it. Let's go back to the 2019 dream season here. Let's maybe go take us through that. I want to, I want to know it all. Oh man. I don't even like talking about that. Honestly, it's like, it's embarrassing what happened. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's not how my parents brought me up, but I'll, I'll try to tell you the details of it. So it, it started, it's more like a 365 day run. So okay. that September, they had the biggest muskie tournament they've had in like 20 years on Lake Vermilion. It was a PMTT mega event. It was in beginning of September. Uh, my partner, Jason Hammernick, and I ended up winning that, um, which was due in part to me catching a 51-incher with a 45 minutes left in the tournament on day three. So that was like uh, 30... Thirty or forty thousand dollars—I forget how much it was. So, like, the biggest payout in a muskie tournament in twenty years, and we won that. An expensive fish. Yeah, for sure. It was actually, yeah, it, it was forty thousand because we call it forty k bay now, um, where I caught that fish. But so, anyways, <laughs> then you fast forward in two thousand nineteen. Um, I actually got injured at work. I, my back was just like terrible. I went into the ER. Um, had crazy nerve pinching and I was kind of struggling with back pain, like musky fishing, tournament fishing and working above my head all day. Um, and when that happened, it was like, man, I have to stop one of these two. So, um, basically I decided not to go back to work and I'm going to do full-time fishing. So that first tournament was Lake Winnebago. It was a really cold spring. And here I am, professional angler. I have a support enough from sponsors. I can make it happen. And I took like 104th that first tournament on Winnebago. So, I mean, that was like, holy cow, reality check here. Like, you honestly think you can do this. Um, one month later, we ended up on Green Bay. Again, a cold year. Um, I was fishing the very first day of practice. And I was rolling out of this river where uh, like 75% of the field was concentrating. Like that's where the tournament winning bags were going to come from is this whole stretch of Green Bay. And I came in there one night, I looked at my side imaging and there was so many fish in the mouth of this river and they were like sheephead, pike, bass, walleyes, like just demo mode on the screen. So I went there the next morning, I made one cast, I caught a five pound smallmouth. I told my buddies, bass are here, walleyes are near. And my next cast, yeah. I caught a 28-inch walleye. And this is like, if you can picture it, right where everybody's coming out. Um, we actually got out there yeah, late, yeah. which was like divine intervention. I had to deliver some uh, fish to these guys in this charity guide trip. But that's what made me late <laughs> there. So when I pulled out, everybody had already dispersed out onto the lake. And I didn't think I was going to be able to cast her to like last light when everybody was done. But 28-incher yeah. on the second cast. My buddy Chris makes one cast. He lands, he has a 30-incher reeled right up to the side of the wow. boat. I said, I said, okay, reel up. We're out of here. Like, boom, out of here. Like, take your hands out of the cookie jar. We're, we're gone. So this is uh, yeah. six days before the tournament. Tournament day comes. I told my partners, I said, I think that spot is going to be, like, no one's going to find out about it because of human nature. Every time somebody drives out of that seawall, on to Green Bay, they got their plan for the day, 
every time they're going to come back in, it's just like me the first time. I'm thinking about, okay, where am I going for dinner tonight? And, you yeah. know, what am I going to do? So anyway, sure enough, yeah. nobody else found the spot. And in the first seven minutes of day one, I got drawn boat number one. So nobody was going to beat me there. And in seven yep. minutes, the first three fish we had were two 31 and a half inches. I caught in three casts and my coin there caught like a 27 incher. So I basically had like, those are big legit. Fish. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> so like two 10 pounders and a seven pounder basically. <laughs> and, uh, the rest of that day was a scramble. Like, um, I went back in there, then I started heading south and I caught my last two fish like in the last hour and a half and they were huge. They were like uh, another whatever, seven pounder and a nine pounder or something. Um, yep. But anyways, so weighed 41 and a half pounds. I was leading on day one. Just crazy, right? And then uh, yep. went in there day two, uh, got five fish out of that primary spot in the mouth and went and caught one more upgrade and weighed like almost 40 pounds the second day. So I had 80 pounds, uh, won the tournament. And yeah, that was my first win on the National Wildlife Tour. Like my number one goal in my entire life. Like I've had that goal for, uh, I don't know, over 20 years probably. You know, yeah. for watching. And it, <sighs> the crowd <laughs> went wild. When it was wild. <laughs> it was surreal. Like, you know, it didn't settle in forever. Like the only thing I remember is my phone literally like vibrating like a hole in my leg, basically. It was so cool. Oh, yeah. So, it's probably calls and texts coming in like yeah. i couldn't even imagine standing on that stage and like oh that's and, insane <laughs> well you know all the little variables that came together and you know again i keep touching on my dad being a pastor but it's like look at it all those things that had to line up like that yeah. got me to that position and boat one and you know all those things and to just get those five bites on day one and six bites on day two to win that tournament so it's hard for me to like, you know, stand up there and peacock on the stage. Like, you know, what's up? I, that's right. I did this, you know, um, it was a really yeah. humbling experience. And I mean, one I'll obviously never forget. So, Oh, absolutely. Um, so then it didn't stop there. That was just the beginning of the, the dream season. But, um, our next tournament was at Sault Ste. Marie and, what ended up happening there was the most gratifying thing I've ever done in fishing for myself. Um, I'll keep it short, but basically I'd fished the whole week. There was a spot in Canada that I was fishing um, that had some standing cabbage. I was trolling flicker minnows next to the cabbage in practice. And every time I get perfectly right by one of these cabbage beds, I could catch a nice sized fish. Um, but then I started thinking about it. I'm like, those fish are coming out of those cabbage stocks. And these are actually casting spots. And for the last day of practice, I knew where I was going. But one little trick I do, like if I, a day before the tournament, if I know exactly where I'm going and what I'm doing, I take that last day to completely hit a reset button. And this is when it paid off for me. So like with three or four hours left in practice, I threw a paddle tail up there, had a fish bump it, uh, had another fish bite it and lose it. And I just thought to myself, I'm like, these things need to be triggered. And I thought back to when I musky fish and a classic musky pattern that works for pike too, I'm sure, is to throw a big rubber bait with treble hooks on it, a bulldog, and literally just crack it out of the cabbage. You know, flat, calm, and sunny, you're getting this reaction bite. And I threw that paddle tail up there. I had a three-quarter ounce um, 
swim bait jig head on it. And I let it hit bottom and I literally just cracked it as hard as I could through that really strong cabbage. Did it like five times, brought it all the way out to the weed edge and I was letting it fall down the weed edge and I felt this bite. And right as I set the hook, I told my travel partner, I go, I go, this is it. And he's like, what? I go, this is a big walleye and I, this is the way I can win the tournament. And this is the only fish I caught doing it in one cast. And he's like, he knows when my braid starts going, you know, but he's like, I bring it mm-hmm. up, biggest yeah. fish of practice, like a seven pounder. And I let it go. And I'm like, we have to find every cabbage bed in a 10 mile area. Like this makes all the sense in the world. We went and cast in one more spot. I had him throw the paddle tail and I threw a shiver minnow and he made three casts and caught like a three and a half pounder doing it. So that was it. Two fish in a co- combined like seven casts. And all I knew then is I needed to find all this cabbage in this area. So, um, Long story short, Dave Kolb absolutely destroyed the tournament. He had this one spot. But I took second place, uh, all casting those paddle tails, never done it in a tournament in my life, did it the whole day, both days, and um, had the rest of the field by 12 pounds. So I ended up in second place. And without Dave Kolb like, having this amazing tournament, I was right there again. So that was like, are you kidding me? So first, then second. Uh, s- second's not bad. No, not bad at all. And that, that will still, like, it'll take a lot before I can say I had a more gratifying, like, better tournament in my life. Like, that one was so cool. And in your no, Canadian No, absolutely. Water. That sounds too... Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds super, like, rewarding, right? When you, when you figure something out that, you know, you know is going to work and that can put you, you know, can help you place. I mean, obviously, you can't control what other people do and the fish that they catch but um yeah it definitely sounds like that was a tournament for the books yeah i mean even though you you didn't even even though you didn't place first right yeah it was just the gratification of like i like i don't want to say nobody has ever done that but to use a three quarter ounce jig head in 10 feet of water and to literally rip it like that hard i had this i had this blister that was like bigger than a loony bigger than a toonie on my, <laughs> on my palm from day one because I'd never done it for a whole day. I'd only done it for like 10 casts yeah. in practice, but that thing was like literally ripped open. And if, if Sprangle, wow. Corey didn't borrow me a glove with a Sims glove with like a big rawhide on it, like I couldn't have even done it yeah. all day on day two. So um, yeah, the gratifying part was like, I literally invented that in my head, that one cast and, you know, lo and behold, it worked or whatever. So that was cool. Wow. What a story. Yeah. So that's tournament one, tournament two. Uh, what happened in the third one? Tournament two, tournament three. Yeah. So we're just getting warmed up. Um, so then <laughs> I leave that tournament and I'm driving home and I call my partner, Jason Hamernick. The last muskie tournament we fished was in September on Vermilion that we won. And we have a tournament on Lake Minnetonka, which is my home water. And I've muskie fished that my entire muskie life. So like 15 years. Um, so I'm driving home and I said, Jason, I think we can win the tournament doing this. There's like science behind why this fast falling paddle tail works to trigger fish. And I believe it's because they do that in nature, especially in weeds, like perch flee to the bottom. I know that from ice fishing. Big pike comes through, you got that school worked up, boom, they all go down to the bottom. So I think that when a, a, a predator sees that uh, bait falling down that fast, 
they think that bait's getting away. So if they're just watching it or they're following it, all of a sudden that thing falls down really fast like that, that's like a natural fleeing maneuver of a perch, flee to the bottom. So I'm telling them this as I'm driving home, and I'm like, we need to get some musky-sized paddle tails. I'm going to add some weight to the head of them to make them fall faster, and I think we can win the tournament. So within a day, one day of pre-fishing for that musky tournament, we stopped pre-fishing because we had, we caught two and shook another one off and had two other bites doing it. Um, you know, making baits fall fast like that. So we bass fished the last day before the tournament. We only pre-fished two days and we went into that tournament and we ended up winning it. We caught four fish. Again though, we caught two of them with like an hour left in the tournament. Uh, like a 52 and a 44 incher. So back to back um, Minnesota professional musky tournament trail wins. So that was right after Sault Ste. Marie. And again, it was like, that was crazy. You know, I'd never done that for muskies, but I thought it would work and it did. So it was really kind of a cool thing. Um, and in, uh, for you pike fishermen, if you guys do that, if you want to catch like the biggest pike in Last Mountain or wherever in Saskatchewan, if you buy a, um, a Berkeley Champ swimmer with a three quarter ounce jig head or half ounce jig head, um, or if you got even bigger fish, buy like a 10 inch, um, chaos tackle Poseidon. It's a paddle tail. Do you guys use those at all? Um, not a whole lot. No, that no, doesn't sound familiar to me here. at all. Okay. It's a really chaos durable bait. Familiar, but... It's a really durable bait. It's 10 inches long, you know, good colors, okay. whatever. Um, and if you hang a three quarter ounce bell sinker from the front hook hanger, and go chuck it into the cabbage with a musky type rod, your heaviest rod, and literally just rip that thing and let it fall as fast as it'll fall. Just follow it down. And yeah. I guarantee you, you will catch the biggest pike in that weed bed. No matter what, I'll bet you any money you want. If you want to have a tournament, I'll fish <laughs> against you. Like, I swear to God, that's, it's <laughs> unbelievable how pike eat that bait. Um, but yeah, just something, something to try. Uh, so sounds good. We'll have to <laughs> check out Pokey's Tackle Shop. There you go. That's our, lo- that's our local uh, bait bait shop here. So nice. Just the biggest paddle tail you can is my point, and make sure you got enough weight on the nose so it literally falls like a rock, basically. Okay. Um, I so guess then, in a sense, kind of the same idea as a shiver minnow. The way it drops right down, right? Like I, it darts off, and then being so heavy, just I guess in a much smaller presentation than the pike one. That's exactly right, and that's how, you know, when I've thought back, um, like, that's why that's a trigger. That's why a shiver minnow works better than a jig wrap in the summer, you know, is because it's falling nose down fast. Like, fish really visually see that, you know, a perch is simple. If a perch is coming up like this, all its friends see that, that means active, active, active feeding. And if a perch goes like this, you'll see it on your screen. You know, if you roll one or one denies you ice fishing, you know, now the whole school's like, oh, this is neutral caution maybe like what's up what's going on here and the second they see a single perch like this that's danger so it's all just a visual thing so obviously yeah same thing with a shiver minnow any of those fast falling baits and that's kind of been the fun of my walleye fishing lately is really you know pushing that envelope but you're spot on gotcha yeah that's a that's a really good tip yeah like we don't have musky here but yeah if that's gonna work for big pike i'm sure there's a lot of listeners that are gonna take that and uh Run give it the try, th- yeah. Give it the tried and true uh, if, opportunity this this open water season. 
If you watch the Magic of Television, we did a next bite uh, Fort Peck walleye show this season, so it's on YouTube now. Uh, it just aired actually, yeah. but we were throwing champ swimmers in the weeds. So the Magic of Television didn't show this like like we'd catch a couple big walleyes, and then there'd be a hundred yard stretch of thirty to thirty six inch pike. I think I retied yeah. twenty pound fluorocarbon at one point nine casts in a row. Wow. Yes. And the number of pike I caught doing that on Fort Peck, and they're all like literally 30 to 36 inch cookie cutters, you know, a couple that were, yeah. you know, pushing upper 30s or whatever. But like that just, same thing, you know, nice eight foot visibility, throwing it up into cabbage, almost every cast at times. And that was with a champ swimmer. And they so, were just choking it. Oh, like so far down. And, I can't help but like to slack line hook set them because the bite is so crazy. Yeah. It feels so cool when it's falling and it's just like this bone shattering bite. Yeah, but yeah, if you, yeah. If you did it with any type of like tieable wire leader, you would catch every one of them. You'd never lose one. It'd be pretty gratifying, you know, because you would you wouldn't be donating a swim bait jig head and a champ swim every time you set the hook like me. Yeah. And let's be let's be honest, they're not cheap. No, they're not. Tack, tackle is not cheap, especially for like you know. The average angler uh, and the weekend warrior, per se. Um, As I'm wearing a hooded sweatshirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit of uh, advertising. No big deal. Well, yeah, um, you're spot on. So use that leader. If you're going to go tangle in the weed beds, because obviously there's walleyes in there too, but if you go in there, you're going to want to tie a leader to that because you'll be amazed like yeah. how many pike you catch. Awesome. Okay, so... Walleye, walleye, muskie, all placing, 2019, what's yeah. next? First, second, first, and then the championship. So Devil's Lake, I fished, and the originally, um, I fell in love with Devil's Lake because of perch ice fishing, and that was back in like 2000. So um, championship is there, I love the lake. I took 11th place there last time we fished it. First time I fished it as a pro, so I'm excited. And basically, yep. uh, when practice was all said and done, I had this primary area, and I had a couple, you know, like three or four other areas I was going to fish that day too. So what happened was I ended up getting like 20 pounds on day one. I think I was in 12th place or 13th place. Day two was super windy, and I scraped together 20 pounds again. And there was a lot of guys, you know, that had 20 to even 25 pounds that first day. Well, I came in and like the whole field had tanked. Everybody except my travel partner, Dusty, myself, and a few other guys. So I catch another 20 pounds, and now I'm basically tied for first with Dusty. Like he's ahead of me by uh, a tenth of an ounce or something. And Oh, wow. Yeah. So you have to make the top 10 to fish the final day of the championship. And so I go up second place or whatever, and I, I knew like we weren't allowed to call or upgrade fish, you know, we couldn't release them. So we had eight fish to keep. And I basically was so relaxed. I'm like, I'm going to have my best day of the tournament. I'm 25 pounds is my goal. So that made it simple what I could, what I needed to keep or throw back, you know? And that was so yeah. funny that day. I literally catch like a five. Okay. I catch two small ones, like 17 inches, throw them back. Next okay. fish, five pounder. Oh, we'll keep that one. Next fish, 
two pounder, nope, two pounder, nope, four pound, three quarter, like four and three quarter pounder. Oh, I'll keep that one. Like that's how that day went. There was no hard decisions I had to make at all, except for the very last Perfect. fish. I, right. I mean, another gift from God. So the very last fish I right. caught was, uh, it was like a one pound upgrade on a fish that I had in the live well. And I still had like an hour and 20 minutes to fish. And I still had these like three areas where I was looking for like a six pounder, you know? And I was like, you know what? One pound upgrade this time of day, that's a really good upgrade. And I decided to keep it in this cool, uh, 18 year old, 17 year old Drake McCarthy was my co-angler. So he was just freaking out. And I'm like, all right, dude, we're keeping it. We're done. And he's like, Holy cow. Like, wow, what a day that was, you know? So we drive back in and, I ended up beating Tommy Kimos by one pound, basically that call fish, um, that last call. Wow. Yeah. You know, even 12 ounces or something that I won by. So, yep, won the championship too somehow. And, like, that's the thing too, right? It's days like that. I mean, not in, in regards to a lot of things aside from fishing too, but, like, when you just know when you're feeling it, right? You know you're going to have, like, a good day when you're not – indecisive right you just you know what needs to be done like you know you caught those fish nope nope that's not it that's not it and then you know you catch those fish and you just know this this is right this let's keep this one you know just that not having that indecisiveness i guess is kind of a really good thing to have um and really kind of sets your day apart from other ones yeah i think you're spot on and it's hard to relate that to bass tournaments because bass tournaments you can always upgrade you know, like the bigger bass tournaments we have in the U.S. But I never even thought of that way, Brandon, but you're completely right. Like, if I hadn't cashed a check that whole year and I went into that tournament tied for first the last day, um, yeah. my goals could have been completely different. It could have been like, I got to get a limit. Granted, the bite was good enough. Yeah. We weren't like whacking fish. Like, we probably only caught t- 10, 10 or 12 fish by like noon. Um, you know, so that's how many choices I had to make before I had like a nice limit or I even had six in the live all or something. Um, but you're spot on because like, that's what, how that role like started. And that was my goal. I was just going to go out there and swing for it. Like I'm going to bring in my biggest bag. That's it. So, um, that's awesome. But again, a blessing because of what happened the other two tournaments, what had happened at Muskie tournament, it's like no pressure at all. Like we're just going to go out there and go fishing. There's not going to be as many boats on the spot. This is going to be fun. So, yeah. A little yeah. more relaxed, right? Cause you've been there before, right? You've, you're, you're a little more seasoned. You've, uh, you've got a couple wins on your belt. You've, uh, you know what it feels like, you know what needs to be done. And yeah, just, I guess a little more relaxed is just the best way to put it. Yeah. And I think that that's something that I learned from musky tournaments also, but it's really key for any tournament angler. Um, you know, um, a lot of tournament fishing, the, the most important thing in tournament fishing is time management, um, period. It's every single minute. So every single minute you can put in the bank that you realize that the conditions change on your go-to spot, okay? So you went there, it's not happening. How long does it take you to recognize that? Now, can you buy yourself 30 minutes because you recognized it? You accepted this is not going to happen on our primary spot. It doesn't matter if you caught a 10-pounder every cast the day before the tournament. This is not happening. If you can buy yourself 30 minutes or maybe even three hours, now you can lengthen out that time frame. 
Um, so that's just that's number one in tournament fishing. I feel like the second one is what we were just talking about, and that's like for myself, just going through a tournament day optimistic. You did your pre-fish, you learned what you learned in five days, you have that history on the lake for your lifetime. These are the conditions, these are the lures you have. Um, now let's go put the piece of the puzzle together. So when you go forward confidently, it really allows you to relax and make good decisions, not stressed out ones where the time's running fast, um, it's just kind of to go confidently forward with the process and one step further for myself I'm lucky to be able to process it as Whatever happens this day with all that pre-fish and all my fishing knowledge I'm either gonna weigh a good bag a great bag a bad bag a, or a terrible bag. That's it Every day you fish a tournament. Those are the four types of bags you're gonna have so you already know that's gonna happen one of those four things now can you stay relaxed, calm, and confident throughout that tournament day to maybe get yourself from that good to that great bag or from that poor to that decent bag, you know? Um, but it's really just like people get really stressed out in those scenarios. They get spun out, they need a fish, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, one of my secrets is like none of that really bothers me. Like it doesn't because I feel like it's almost predetermined what's going to happen at the end of the day. I think that's, that's a good way to look at it because the only way is absolutely. up for lots of that, right? And yeah. sometimes they'll go, like it's not always going to go like a 2019 kind of thing and, and you recognize that. So, I mean, you can you can only go up from the start of the day. So I think that's that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah, good I think call. a really good thing um, of what you touched on from a tournament aspect, but even for like our listeners that are just avid, you know, weekend warriors, it's just being out being on a spot and realizing that it's not happening and even if you're not in a tournament or a non-pressured situation like not fishing memories right it's just trying new things uh realizing that you know it's it's just not the spot it's not going to happen today and being optimistic about it and trying something new um you know being a little more diverse for sure and you know when uh, that one little comment i made of like reeling in the fish is actually the annoying part you know for me nowadays, but hey, I've, I've fished like enough for like five lifetimes already, you know? Um, yeah. But I really feel like that's something like in practice or even on a day-to-day -day basis, if you put yourself on that timer and on that timer and then say, say you're catching a 10-pounder every cast, um, maybe that would be the only time in fun fishing or in pre-fish or in a tournament that I would stay on that spot. Um, Anything less than that, like there's a time where in, in practice I'm talking now for a tournament, um, you know, it's time to go. It's time to expand to that pattern. You just realize that that color shiver minnow on 20-foot sand break right now is like unbelievable on this one spot. Your opportunity the next day, two or three days is to find like every single one of those sand spots that works the best in July or middle of August, you know. So it's really kind of like continuing to push yourself away from the known. And I think that that's kind of key to really, um, really accelerate your learning curve in fishing, you know, or you throw that shiver minnow out there three times. And then what did John say about the heavy paddle tail? I wonder if that would work out in the sand in 20 feet. Is, is a half ounce jig heavy enough? Well, it doesn't really feel heavy enough. It's not falling. How about a one ounce? Okay, let's try a one ounce. Oh my gosh, this works out in 20 feet in the sand also. Um, 
So that's kind of, uh, I think, also a really good key to like when you're talking about known spots, you know, like I, I literally like, I don't, I would never want to go to a spot really if you told me that this is where all the 10 pounders are biting. It's like you already took away literally 95% of the fun for me. It must ruin the fun. If I was going with <laughs> you, it'd be fun. Sure. Like, okay, let's go to your spot. Let's whack these 10 pounders. But if you were literally like, here's a waypoint for all the 10 pounders that we caught this morning, go there. Like, I'm honestly like already detached from that. Um, just because of what I was just talking about, like the whole find them, you know, experiment. That's, that's like the beauty of fishing. That's awesome. I love, I love hearing that. That's awesome. Yeah. So I guess we've had John for pretty well, just over an hour now. Um, we didn't want to take up too much of your time. We were very thankful that, that you decided to come on. Um, but we did put up a question well not really a questionnaire but we put up a thing where some of our followers could ask us questions if you'd want to answer a couple of those um, i like it i think that put me on the awesome. spot yeah brown you want to ask the first one yeah so yeah like like logan said we you actually shared this on your story as well we put it on our instagram story just that questionnaire um and we got a quite a few questions we're not going to be able to get through all of them um but there are a few that you know, we'd like to to ask you, and I think a lot of the listeners would, would like to hear what you have to say. Um, let's see. Let's go with um, actually that one we've actually touched on. Um, how to get to the next level of angling. That is from Josh Neck. Um, let's see. I know so, that's a pretty broad question. Yeah. Um, I Honestly, the last thing that we just talked about, is imperative to get to the next level of angling. Um, but I will say this, if you're not using side scan, side imaging um, in your boat and having it on full screen at all times, you are not gonna be able to get to the next level of angling, period. You, the next level of angling has been moved up. And now with live target, live scope from Garmin, it actually just got moved up a lot more in certain situations. So. Um, if you're not using side imaging, if you haven't like become accustomed to what fish look like and the your ability to see fish on it, to use it every single day at all times, um, that would be the number one thing I'd say, how do you get to the next level? The next level from that is more about what we just talked about for me. Um, now I see that those are big walleyes. There's some like six to 10 pounders on my left here on the sand break, um, you know, 20 to 16 feet of water. Um, I can recognize yeah. those. I know that they're bigger walleyes. These are tourney grade walleyes. Now, um, what is the best way to catch them? Um, so that experimentation okay. that comes along with knowing you're throwing to fish, that learning curve versus I tried the IK Dominator for the morning um, shiver minnow, and then I switched to this gold one and you know, started catching them on that. Well, had you casted to a walleye the whole morning? Like, there's so many other questions that are left up to reason. So many different var variables. Yeah, so many variables to make, like, decisions where now when you see them on your side scan, all that's out the window. It's yes or no. What works right now, right here? What makes these fish bite? So that's what's really taken my learning curve and everything to the very, like, the highest level right there. Yeah. 
and even with like you you touched on like uh the garmin live scope yeah like even hummingbirds coming out with their um live um live imaging i think it's called yeah um so that's rolling out this spring right um i think lawrence is coming out with one so like all of these brands are starting to roll out with with this live imaging um technology that's essentially going to take uh side imaging because like a lot a lot of average anglers weekend warrior guys you know are tuned to their their 2d or their down imaging you know they they throw on the side imaging and then it's it's almost overwhelming right so then you know their helix has that feature but i'm gonna stay away from it because it's 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 overwhelming um but now you got all this other technology that just takes the bar from here to here right you can you can literally see those fish eat your lure in real time yeah um my opinion of that is little live technology you know all these southern bass guys are just seeing this for their first time like uh hello that's why we ice fish funnest thing ever right <laughs> we get to look at them on a yeah. flash Un- oh unbelievable you can't touch it I that's why we fishing. all go out there and yeah freeze our butts off so that live scope technology is below side imaging as far as revolutionary okay. side imaging is one of the top three inventions in fishing of all time if not the number one invention of all time and live scope does not touch it for actual every single day of functionality um you know if you get into a two-foot chop and you're trying to pull on to a rock reef and you have to go into it um live scope it's 10 percent as effective if you're in calm or somewhere where you can move forward with the boat you know, and use both your hands to cast, then obviously that's, I mean, it's a freaking game changer. Don't get me wrong, but nothing, it, it's not what side imaging is. The the, the ability wow. to learn I'm spots happy. and, you know. And I'm, I'm happy I brought that up because yeah. I've never actually personally used the live imaging technology. So like I can't per se, but right, just the hype around it in the industry, right? It makes it seem like it's the, the, you know, high end above all. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy that I brought that up and you touched on that. I think that's, I think that's super, super interesting what you just said. I mean, honestly, if, if, if you had $5,000 and you love ice fishing, then maybe you're going to buy the live target from Lorance, um, and, or the live scope from Garmin. Right. But number one would be for ice fishing. It's, it's a game changer in ice fishing. It's unbelievable. But, um, if you only had one thousand dollars to spend, the best money you, the next thousand dollars, the best money you could spend in fishing would be add another graph to have it on the whole time and be able to correlate all those spots that you know for the, your whole life and what your two D sonar looks like in relation to what side scan side imaging looks like. Um, I would say that that would be the best money you could spend your next thousand dollars on. Awesome! I think that's a great tip. That's awesome. what I'm doing. <laughs> there you go. I'm heading to the store tomorrow. Yeah. I'll bring um, one so, up once right. they open the borders. I'll Sounds trade good. I'll trade it for the last mountain we'll, uh, we'll... rendezvous. Oh, okay. We could probably work something out. Nice. Um, so I guess uh, we've got one here from Aubrey LaRose. Um, he asks for snapjig winter walleye are you gonna go with frozen minnows or plastics on there uh i've never used a frozen minnow 
So um, basically my favorite baits are like little twitch tail minnows. Um, Berkeley makes some of them. They're actually almost like a drop shot bait. Um, but like any of those little purple and silver fleck ones that they make. Um, so something without a paddle tail for sure. Um, and then like that champ minnow. Um, those smaller sizes of plastics, it just seems like, you know, when you are fishing the thing vertically, um, less is more to a point. So um, basically those two things, I've never used a minnow on it, but um, yeah, it's a good idea to um, put a nice big smelly frozen minnow on there for sure. Well, I guess so, that could be different here too. Sorry, Brandon, just because well, no, I guess fine. when lots of guys in the States or even maybe just outside Saskatchewan think minnows, they're thinking live minnows for the most part, but we can't use yeah. any of those here. So that kind of changes the minnow game for us. So the frozen minnow has become kind of a, a staple for for so many different things, but I guess when you can imitate just as well with the plastic, why wouldn't you use that instead? Yeah, and even like um, one thing I do for ice fishing a lot, a little trick on Lake Winnipeg, um, scent dispersion in cold water is like amplified times 10 or 20 uh, compared to warm water. So um, little additives like Procure, you know, I always have a little tube of Procure, whether it's smelt or whatever, walleye magic, and we always put that on our rattle baits on Winnipeg. I think it's a little bit of a confidence thing, but um, knowing how scent dispersion works, like why a frozen emerald shiner works better than a live emerald shiner, period. Like, I feel, I, I've never seen a, a live emerald shiner outfish a frozen shiner. So, um, you know, adding some scent to a piece of plastic on a Berkeley snap jig, it's uh, a great alternative to a frozen shiner. But yeah, frozen shiner is a good idea if you can keep it on the hook. Yeah, that's true. That, that's the tough part. We've had a bit of a minnow shortage oh here this, this winter, and the quality of minnows is mush, <laughs> so mm. it's been kind of difficult here. Sad. Don't even get me started. I can't keep a minnow on my lure for the life of me this winter. <laughs> the bait keeper doesn't do it because it just falls right off the hook shank, I suppose. Huh? Yeah. Nice. But, um, yeah, Kate, we'll jump into another one here. So this is from um, another Josh. Moon phases and bite windows. Uh, what are you looking for every day um, uh, as far as bite windows? Um, when I really look at moon phase stuff, it's during stable weather. So uh, without patronizing anybody, you know, those classic like fish and game activity charts that you always see, you know, deer movements based on it. A lot of fishing uh, movement, fishing bite windows are open because of the moon. Same thing that affects the tide. So uh, if you want to get confidence in it, and you're fishing for other species other than muskies where like a lot of times it can be like the bible for when they bite um it basically started observing it in some really stable pressure so um if you look at you know end of february here into march and you're perch fishing obviously perch bite great in the morning there's usually a lull but take a look and figure out when moonrise is or moonset or the major and some of the best perch feeding windows I've seen in the wintertime are based on the major, you know, so maybe it's at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Um, all of a sudden, you know, you have this huge grid of holes that you're fishing, or if you're stationary, all of a sudden you start catching them, it correlates to perch activity big time through the ice. So, um, yeah, definitely gain confidence in it, get an app or whatever, figure out when those times are. That's when I make the decision to go to those big fish spots to get bit by a muskie, etc. But you can lose confidence in it quickly if you're not looking at it on nice, stable weather. Because local weather trumps moon, okay. fa moon phases. Oh, gotcha. Sweet. 
Um, I guess and maybe for the last one here, unless Brandon had more, um, my buddy Blake was asking, I think this could be useful here. Lots of our southern lakes in Saskatchewan are more or less kind of a mud bowl when it comes to the, the makeup of the bottom for lots of them. Um, and maybe not a ton of structure either. So what would, if you were coming to one of these lakes, what's something that you would start off with or something you'd look for to try and get on some fish? Uh, I mean, if they're like a prairie lake in the Dakotas, which obviously a lot of that landscape is, uh, one of the most classic things is like an old shoreline. So if you bring up like a Navionics app, and this is what we're doing in North Dakota, I'm actually leaving there tomorrow morning to do it again. But um, if you bring up just that Navionics app, They'll show you this like rudimentary, no contour, you know, kidney bean shape of this slough or this lake or whatever. And um, you'll see like all of a sudden you'll be standing on ground, obviously. So some of these potholes are, are flooded or whatever, but those old shorelines are like number one. Um, if you're talking about a little bit, if you're talking about like a more mature lake that's just flat mud basin, then it just strictly comes down to a numbers game for ice fishing for me. So um, basically... I like to perch fish. I usually only fish a hole if it's warm enough to fish outside. I fish for like 60 seconds. That's it. So if I drill 20 holes in one area, they're spread out initially. I'm, you know, taking this half of a football field, yes or no, out of the equation. Then I might make a quarter or half mile move or a mile move. So it really just comes down to a game of numbers until you're just finding fish. And they're roaming. So, um, you know, my expectations for what I'm looking for go up. Um, I'm looking for this mother load, this school that's roaming. So that's what like makes me fish faster. So um, just hard work, basically, if you're ice fishing. Um, as far as in a boat, if, if it's a mud bottom, I don't even drop a line until I look at my <laughs> side imaging and it's like, there's all the biggest fish in the lake right there. Should we try to catch them now? Okay. So... Mud, okay. right. fish cannot hide with side imaging. Like mud, sand, gravel, like that is, it's not a yes, maybe, or, you know, maybe, no. It's, there they all are. They're right there. Oh, and they're really big. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> side imaging, Sweet. game there changer. Yeah. So basically just being mobile um, during the hard water season is key. And then obviously uh, side imaging. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, I just have one last one here. Uh, what is one piece of advice that you can offer to the average walleye angler to help catch more fish and bigger fish? As if you haven't offered enough already. <laughs> yeah. Um, pretty much. Okay, so when I think of an average Canadian walleye angler, I think of a lot of jig and minnow, jig and plastic. Um, I hope that doesn't offend oh, so anybody, right? Stereotypical. <laughs> Well, you said average. Like, no, no. I think if you're throwing a shiver yeah. minnow and stuff like that, like you've done a lot of research, you're you're getting above average. Like you're, you, you know that you probably catch the most on a jig of minnow, but you know, hey, I want to maybe catch a big yep. one of shiver minnow. So, um, I, I think no, I think this is fair. That's a fair. Okay, so um, just to to take that thought process in your presentation with you, all the things that we just talked about in this podcast are really aggressive presentations. My dad taught me that uh, the way to be successful catching walleyes is a really light jig in a minnow, Jan Lake, and then in Minnesota, six pound test, the liveliest leech, the liveliest nightcrawler on a Lindy rig. Um, you know, feed them the line when you feel them bite it. They're really picky. 
the thing that we've been doing in walleye fishing nowadays is completely blowing all those false negative things away. Um, think of Lake Winnipeg. It's freezing cold. They're supposed to be the least active. They're biting rattle baits through the ice. Well, guess what? That obviously works on Last Mountain. It obviously works on any walleye, and so does every other presentation we're talking about. So to get above average, it would be use artificial lures. A lot of the presentations that I do, um, even with a jig and a minnow, I can't hold a minnow on, on my jig um, because I'm literally you know, shaking it that hard. Ice fishing, same thing. Like This is about how hard I shake my spoon. I do a lot of shaking like this when I vertical jig for walleyes. Um, you know, and all those things are make a fish get more aggressive. If you give a fish an opportunity to come up, swim up to any lure, any jig, any live bait, and just bite it, a lot of times the bites are just going to be, you know, about this hard. Well, if all of a sudden you resemble something like that's getting away, like we were talking about, now you can get bites yeah. that are just like how this muskie bites things and kills things. The same way that like great white sharks eat seals off the surface. Um, Fish, walleyes, everything will bite like that if you make them. So just be more aggressive. Okay. I think that's Sweet. an awesome tip. Yeah, that's some, that's some big knowledge there because so many people, it's always about being so delicate. And, I mean, when you get up into northern Saskatchewan, there's so many fish, maybe not the size as much for walleye and stuff, but there's so many fish that it usually is just a bear, bear jig and, uh, and a minnow. And that seems to produce all day, any day kind of thing. But yeah, once you get into the more pressured areas, you gotta you gotta show them something different. And that I think is a lot different because lots of people are doing doing the Lindy rigs or bottom bouncing and stuff like that, just kind of slower presentations. Yeah, for sure. And one little side note with that too, we talked about like Lake Winnipeg rattle baits. So yeah, um, at big any rattle point, baits from what I've been seeing. For sure. So at any point in any day, there'll be like a time of that day or at least a time in a few day window where fish will bite something that's moving faster. It doesn't matter what the water temp is. Um, water temp's really important, but like the trend of the water temp is what's important, not the number. Um, one degree warmer is very important, but if that water is warming, you could be using the same exact technique that you use in the dead of summer, like in in april right at ice out so um just kind of interesting thing about cold-blooded fish that it's more about their mood and that'll dictate like um why they'd all of a sudden bite this really aggressive jig in a middle presentation you know maybe i was like popping it or maybe i was reeling on the bottom yeah. they'll do that in the winter they'll do that in the summer they'll do that in the fall um, and a lot of that behavior is based on like how good are they feeling is it warming or boom did it get really cold so um kind of another fun thing i've observed sweet just <laughs> dropping knowledge yeah <laughs> awesome i think um i mean we don't we didn't really want to keep you too long we know you're a busy guy and we we appreciate you taking the time out of of your days um to sit down with us and talk a little bit about fishing and bring a little bit of uh entertainment to saskatchewan canada and uh yeah i don't know is there uh, any kind of sponsorship thing that you want to say or where can people find you online? Uh, um, yeah, just... I mean, the only thing is like uh, my social media stuff. I mean, if, if people follow me on there, that's like the nicest thing you can do. I answer tons of questions every day. 
um, whether it's on Facebook at Hoyer Fishing or John Hoyer Fish on Instagram. So fun way to stay in touch, same way we met, guys. And uh, look at now we got to have this yep, fun yep. conversation. So I enjoy that part of it. It's hard work for me, but um, if somebody follows me on that page, that's kind of the nicest thing you can do, you know, since we're separated by a border right now. And um, I hope I can, if you have any questions going forward, I can answer them on that messenger. Yeah, yeah for sure. And like, if you guys, any of the listeners out there, if you're not following John on, especially Instagram, like he's super active on his stories, um, super informational stuff. Um, so yeah, make sure you go give him a follow, especially on Instagram. Uh, the guy is just an absolute genius when it comes to walleye fishing. So <laughs> And lots of Labradors on Instagram. Like any chance oh, I get. and lots of Labradors. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. if you like big old perch through the ice, you get a, the odd picture of that too. Yep. Yeah, Fish it's definitely not Labradors. just fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of hashtag not fishing days. <laughs> <laughs> Those are golfing, yeah. Yeah. We shouldn't yeah. tell about that though. That's not a reason to follow me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess. Anyways. Unless anyone has anything else, thank you very much for coming on for our second episode. We we're very appreciative of that. And very, very cool talking to you and all the knowledge and stuff that you hold is, is ridiculous. So uh-huh. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much, John. There you have it, everybody. I hope you guys enjoyed that. What a fantastic interview with John Hoyer. Uh, what a humble guy. He has so much knowledge. It was a pleasure to have him sit down with us and talk a little bit about his background in fishing. And one of the things that I thought was the most interesting was his point of view from a, you know, from a professional angler standpoint, live imaging versus side imaging. That was, you know, I just found that so interesting, you know, how dependent he is on the side imaging. Um, but if you do have any other suggestions on, you know, guests or future episode ideas, please feel free to, you know, email us or uh, send us a DM on social media. We do look at everything. If we don't get back to you, it's it's not that we're not reading it. We read everything. Um, but yeah, if you have any ideas, please send them our way. Uh, we're always looking to get feedback from our listeners. Yeah, for sure. Thanks again, John. That was, that was a real treat to have you on here. Um, and I guess with 13 Fishing being our title sponsor here, our presenting sponsors, they've provided us with a code for us, our listeners to have 15% off anything in the 13 Fishing website. So you can use our code Weekend Warriors. that's W-K-N-D Warriors, and that'll save you 15% off on anything on the 13 Fishing website. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and we'll catch you on the next bite. Thanks for tuning in to the Weekend Warriors Fishing Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to leave a review on your favorite listening platform so we can reach more anglers just like you. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for media updates and behind-the-scenes content.